So this morning, we are starting a new sermon series called The Big Story of the Bible and subtitled A Lamp Unto My Path. But to get started on this, we got to answer a question. The Bible is hard. Why read it? Ever heard that the, uh, Barbie say the meme like, math is hard. Even harder than math is, is this book. I think it, it's a great book, but sometimes it is hard to understand. There's challenges to interpret. There's things in it that we wonder about. Why is it worth trying to read and understand this book? This question kind of hit me a few years back when I was had a, I had a workout partner, um, a friend of mine, church guy, um, and <laughs> I was a lousy workout partner. He was like training for a triathlon. So him and I would go cycling and like, he would just, I, I did, I mean, I pedaled as fast as I could and he just, he just zoomed up hills like the, it was nothing. But anyways, he hung out with me anyways and had mercy upon me. But, uh, but we, so we got talking, I shared the thing I got excited about, which is I, at the time I was gaining some insights from a thing I was preaching on, a different series, and I, I, like I was connecting historical events to what I was talking about, and I shared just a little bit of that, about that, and he was kind of, eh, like, oh, well, I don't get into that kind of stuff, and, and this is a church guy, and his comment was, is that it's more important to, to do acts of service, to help people, to show love to people, all that, that Bible stuff, studying the, the depths and history it's not really that important compared to actually doing things. Around the same time, I had a different conversation with, actually it was my, one of my kids' reading tutors, and she was talking about uh, what was being preached around Christmas time, and, and she thought, well, we're, we, they do all this stuff about you know, history and that, and says, I just wish pastors would talk more about love. Right. What does it mean to love people? And she thought that was more important than getting into the, all the background information it takes to understand the Bible. Now, mind you, it is my job, and I love my job of digging in and getting the background historical information. And so I took a little offense, but, uh, but I thought about it. And there's a bit of truth, more than a bit of truth in it. It is possible to be a Bible expert and be disconnected from God. To, to be a bad person. You, can, you could study this well and, and be a complete jerk about it. Or jerk about everything. Um, Jesus, in his time, he challenged the Bible scholars of his, his saying, time saying, you guys are using your position and the status you have as Bible scholars to keep people down. And in fact, he says, you, you put all these burdens, you load all these burdens on people, and you don't lift a finger to help them. So they were Bible scholars who weren't doing what God wanted. And another time he taught his disciples, he says, you know, you can hear all my teachings you want, but if you don't put them into practice and learn to live them, then it's like you're building a house on sand. It's not going to last. So there's, recognize the truth that, that when we do study and read 
and dig into the details of this. I still am going to argue it's worth it. But realize it is so that it can change us and shape us and we start to put it into practice. So given that, I want to go back to this idea. Why, what makes the Bible worth it to read and understand when you have to put some work into it? It doesn't come easy, especially if you want to, to dig into some of these passages. And the starting point for this is this truth that the Bible asserts for itself, that the Scriptures are God's word to mankind. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture, and that would mean what we call the Bible, is God-breathed or breathed out by God. This is making a big claim. It's saying that it's not just man's efforts to understand the divine. You know, some might say, well, everyone has all their holy books, and, and you know, all cultures try to understand, you know, why do the stars move, and maybe those are gods up there, and everyone has their thing, and who's to say who's right? Because we're all just trying to, people are trying to figure out these things that we can't see or understand because of our limited, finite minds. And so they would say that any scripture of whether it's the Bible or other holy books are just man's attempt to to look up and figure out God. What 2 Timothy 3.16 says, no, it's it's the for this book it's it's different. It is God coming down. It is God making the effort to to bring his information down to us so that we can see and understand. God wants to speak to us. And and Hebrews Chapter 1 talks about this. It says, Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets. Right? God spoke into the lives of certain people and it got written down. And then it goes further. God so much wanted to speak to us. It says he went, he went beyond the prophets. It says in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. So we have the Bible as God's attempt to communicate. It's an intentional communication by God to, to speak to and with people. Now think about it. If there is a God, if God is good, he's not just some force like, you know, the Star Wars force, or if he's not some disinterested scientist God who just wants to, you know, make a bunch of people and see, if, see how long it takes for us to kill each other. Like, if God actually cares about us, does it not make sense that God himself would reach out and try to bridge the gap and communicate with the people he made? The Bible talks about God being a shepherd, a shepherd who actually cares about the sheep. And if he is such a shepherd, would he not find some way to talk to us? Now, we can imagine a lot of ways he might talk to us. I was thinking about this. You know, well, I guess if he wanted to get a message that all humankind could eventually receive, I guess could could he not have like used his his finger laser whatever and wrote it on the mountain face, you know, wrote, you know, the things he wants us to know and you know, I, I think of like Stone Mountain down in Georgia, they kind of have those Confederacy pictures. What if God just wiped that clean and used, 
you know, instead he wrote the words, the message. But then, you know, and he could do that all over the world. You know, wherever there's a mountain, he could write that message. But what if you live in Kansas? We drove through Kansas. There's no mountains. Lots of windmills, but no mountains, you know. You know so he could have done it that way. Or, or maybe he could have lowered golden discs, you know, down from heaven with his instructions for us. Some religions that kind of think that happened, something like that, right? But, but God chose a different way, a curious way, when you think about to, to get the Bible written. He chose to involve people in the communication process. It wasn't just this, this almost magical thing coming down. He, he connected with people and involved them in, in writing it out, and in, got involved in their lives in the story uh, that w- would be recorded. That's what Second Peter 1 says for us. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit was working through these men, and sometimes women, in communicating the scriptures to us. So the source is God. It is God-breathed because the Spirit was involved, but he's speaking through people. This is what makes the Bible work, to, to read and understand. You sometimes have to dig in and understand the situation that they were facing, that they, the, the prophets were specifically speaking to. Sometimes you've got to understand things about ancient cultures that are way different than, than the way we operate. I was listening to a podcast about how the Bible is interpreted in different places around the world. And, and the ladies from Nigeria, and she said, there are things in the Bible that, that we resonate with as an agricultural community that you in America don't quite get. God gave things that it takes some work to understand and get, get our heads around. Um, but when you do that, and when you understand the context and you understand what it's about, then God can speak to you through it. I heard another thing this week, um, that this is thinking about how God got this to all peoples of the world. This is the most printed book in the world. More, more, more Bibles are printed than anything else. And it is the most translated book. They're working for every language there is, and they're going to get there in our lifetime, quite possibly. Um, but why believe it's the word of, you know, it claims it's the word of God for itself. How can, how can we believe that? Well, I want to tell you my story. Because I did not start out but by believing this is the word of God. Some people grow up in church and they are taught, and this is great, they're taught from an early age, the scriptures, and that the Bible's the word of God. And because they read the Bible, they learn about Jesus, and that leads them to put their faith in Christ. I came the opposite direction. I, I, we went to church a little bit, you know, I had some involvement in church, but by my teenage years, I kind of wanted nothing to do with it. I was sort of skeptical of that stuff. Um, but I ended up in a place where I, I heard the story of Jesus, the, the, the message about Christ and what he did and and how he died for me, and God got a hold of my heart. I've told that story a few times before. 
And so when I became a follower of Christ, a new Christian, I believed the parts of the Bible about Jesus. thought, well, yeah, that, I'm, I'm all in for Jesus. I've trusted my life to him. But I wasn't sure about the rest. Did I have to believe the whole thing? was So I was new to it, and I was, my leaders encouraged me to read, study, and understand, and to make a daily habit of reading the Bible. And then when I had questions, to bring it to them or to bring it to others and seek answers. And here's the thing. Though at first I wasn't sure that all of this was, was God's Word, the longer I read, the more I I got to understand, the more I worked through the details and worked through the difficulties, the more I came to see this is a divine book. One of the, the big things for me is it would give insights into the human situation, into the human heart, the struggles, the brokenness that we face. One, one of the passages that helped convince me was Romans 7 that talks about where it says, I, I, for when I want to do good, Evil is right there beside me. I said, I don't understand what I do. What I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. I'm like, yeah, that's exactly my life, right? I do things I don't want to do. And I kept finding things like that in Scripture that I think, I felt like it described how the issues that we face in life better than any other, any other book. So that, that was one thing that helped lead me to believe that this is from God. Another thing that continues to amaze me is when I, I start to see the, the larger story of what God's doing through the, the, the larger narrative of, of Scripture. When I start to see that, that there's these disconnected books. There's like 66 books in the Bible, I think. And if you go Old and New Testament, different people wrote different books. They come from centuries of, apart in their, their writing. But yet, there's, there's resonance between them. And I started to see that it's like there's someone's hand upon it directing the story, and it's leading somewhere. That's one of the things that helped convince me that, that this is God's Word. It's, it brings a message about how would God save people, save His wayward people that keep going our own direction. How would God bring salvation to them? The... There's a group called the Bible Project. I would encourage you to check out their website. Um, they have a theme. It's, it's helping people experience the Bible as a unified story that leads to Jesus. I think that's right. When we start to see, even centuries before Christ, the things that are leading to the ultimate fulfillment through Jesus. So those are some of the things that as I read it, I became more and more convinced to now, I, I, would have, I would assert, as we believe here, that this is God's infallible, holy word. That it is reliable for making decisions in life. That it is authoritative. It, it's what we turn to to know what we should believe and what we should do. And ultimately, I believe that this is God's intentional communication. That God wants to speak through it to us as a whole, and also to each of us. That God wants to speak to you through it. If God took the effort to speak to you, would you want to listen? Would it not behoove us 
to pay attention to what he has to say. I love that word, right? Behoove. Do we ever use that word anymore? But, so, that is all my intro for our passage today. Psalm 1 is making a, a case, and it's, it, the Psalm 1 is saying this, if you put the time in to read and understand God's Word, the, this book, there is a long-term benefit that accrues to you. The key is long-term. Sometimes we, we are so used to, as Americans, we want everything now fixed, like I want to read it, get it done, and get something out of it. What Psalm 1 is declaring that this is more of a long-term project that sets your life in the right direction. And it starts off by talking about direction. Which way are you walking in life? It says, blessed is the man who walks not in the way of the wicked. Now, when the Bible uses wicked, we think of the wicked witch of the West. We think of like pure evil incarnate. Think more, when you see the word wicked, think of, it's the person who says, I don't need God in my life. I can figure things out for myself. That's, in essence, what it's saying. Walks not in the way of the wicked. How much are we influenced in our life, in the way we see the world, the way we think about things, by the voices in our culture around us, whether it's our friends, whether it's pop culture, whether it's the political pundits on the radio or on YouTube, how much are we shaped by those voices that are constantly throwing at us? Blessed is the man who walks not in the way of the wicked. And we can start walking. Maybe we're walking in the right direction at first, but we start walking with with this other influence, and it starts to, to shape which direction we're going. And then as the conversation goes on, we go from walking... Standing and talking more in depth, who stands, who does not stand in the way of sinners. So we start to stand, and now we're getting drawn in even further. It's having more of an impact. And then what happens when the conversation goes deeper and, it, and the influence is at its peak? You sit down together. Who sits not? In the, 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 with the mockers and the scoffers, in the seat of the scoffers. You know, by the end, it, it, it shows that person being joining, right? You're joining and mocking and scoffing at, at all the people. You're, in other words, your voice is added now to these, these negative influences. So what shapes your life? What, what do you allow to shape your life? And, and here's the thing. Does hearing the message one hour a week on Sunday, maybe an hour and 15 minutes, does that count? Is that enough to counter the bombardment of all the other messages we get throughout our week? Do we not need to touch in ourselves and, and continue to take that, that message in so that the only voices we're not hearing are the wicked and the scoffers? Um, verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So note, a cursory quick reading won't do. It talks about meditating day and night. Like that you really want to soak your head in, in God's messages, in God's word. I'll, I'll tell you, I, I have my reading time. I also 
I listen to like some sermon podcasts or other things. There's, you, there's, we have more access now, more ways to hear God's Word. You, could, you can actually just listen to it through an app or whatever than, and than anyone else. And so we have a way to counter those other messages. But we need to, to take time to get our minds beyond, you know, who's going to win the next Bachelor or, or the next America's Got Talent, right? The, the things that we get caught up in this world or who's, is, is today something important start? What happens at Sunday at 1 o'clock? Is it that, yeah, the, the first Sunday, yeah, right? Well, you, you, could, you could have your Bible next year as you watch, you know. Day and night, it's as long as you get, get back to it. But, but the, the point being is it talks about meditating and, and, and getting in this. And there's a, I even sense a sense of delight. I know for me, when I see truths, especially when they, you see a truth in, in one part of the Bible and then you see this, something similar said a different way in another, I get, I get excited. Like there's part of me, like I love that. And that sense of delight, I think that comes. It doesn't come at first. It comes when you learn to enjoy taking in God's Word and reading it and, and being a part of it. Um, moving on. So what's the long-term effect? What is someone like who does that? He is like a tree planted by streams of water. Note, it does not say he is like a flower that springs up in a few days. Think how long it takes to grow a tree. This is about long-term, building up over time. But, but when it happens, when that tree grows and it soaks in the water, it then yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither. You have a life that, that is shaped by God and, and makes a difference in this world. I think Jesus teaches the same idea when he talks about building your life on a solid foundation rather than building it on, on sand. It's the same idea that you're building this long-term project as you build your life on His words. So that's the picture of the one who does meditate on the Word. What about the one who lives their life their own way? The wicked. The wicked are not so. They're like the chaff. That the wind blows away. I don't know if we use that word a lot. Chaff? It's the husk around a kernel of grain. In the ancient world, they had to thresh. They'd have to beat the, the, the wheat after they harvested it to, you know, to separate the, the grain to the husk of it. And then they'd throw it up in the air. The grain falls back down. The wind carries the husk away. That's the chaff. That's the picture of someone who just takes in what everything the world says and says, okay, I'm in, you know, I'll go this way. I don't need to know what God says. It's this temporary faddishness. How many things are faddish in our world? Like, like the truths that they'll say now are the very opposite of what they said five years ago, ten years ago, two years ago. Like things keep changing, this culture that we live in. We need to be rooted to something that is solid and will last. Verse 5, therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment. Friends, we have been given a life, something precious, something awesome, and one day we will have to give an account of it. We will have to stand before our God and say, what did we do with what he gave us? This book can help us be ready for that day. 
Not that any of us are righteousness on our own. That's why we need the grace of Jesus Christ. But we need the word of God so that we can stand on that day. We can be a part of the, the assembly or the congregation of the righteous ones who will be with God forever. Because the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will not last. I have a, a friend who's not a believer that I follow on Facebook sometimes. And um, she posted a poem. And it caught my attention. And the, the name of the poem is The Cosmic Dancer. And so the repeated line is, you don't have to believe in God. And I put a portion of it up on the screen. Let me read this portion, but, but let me tell you the idea so you, you know what you're looking for. More to the universe than just um, chemicals interacting with one another. That there's something transcendent. So that's the claim of this poem. It says, you don't have to believe in God, but get quiet enough to remember we really don't know a dang thing about any of it. And if you can, feel a reverence to be a part of this great something, whatever you want to call it, that is so much bigger and so far beyond the rooftops of all our knowing. So it's expressing this idea that there's this great something. There's something more that, that the thoughts in our head are not just chemical interactions or neurons firing, but there's something deeper about it. We just don't know what it is. We don't know a dang thing about it, but we know it's there. That's what this poem is, is advocating. What I would say, that, that sense that we know there's something more, is because we were made for something more. The God of the universe made you that you might know him. J.I. Packer, I got this line from him. I'll, I'll say it again and again. We were made to know and be known by God. We we're made to be in that connection. That's, that's what it means when it talks about us being made in the image of God. St. Augustine said it a little differently. It says, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee, O God. Right? There's something in us. We know we need to be connected to something more than this life, this world has to offer. And that's what happens and what can happen when we, we understand God's story, the big story that God is at work to, to reclaim people and to live with them forever. So in this sermon series, I, what we're going to do is I'm going to do, in a sense, an overview of the Bible. We're going to try to go from Genesis to Revelation this fall and into January. And I have three goals with this. One is that um, we often know a lot of isolated stories in the Bible. I want you to see the big picture of what God is doing in this. So three goals. Encourage people, encourage you, to build a habit of reading and getting with God. I want to try to make it possible. I know some here have done that all their lives or have done that much of their life. I know there's others of you that, oh, I don't know about that. Um, you're already thinking, oh. um, I want to encourage you to give it a shot of reading the Bible on a regular basis and start to, to sink into it. The second goal is to help you understand the different genres of the Bible. This is an amazing book. It's not just one type of literature. When, another thing that helps convince me it's the Word of God. God, 
there is poetry in here. There are these one-sentence proverbs that are fascinating. Much of it is story, but there's different kinds of stories. There's history. There's also, there's a, there's a romance thing in this book. I don't, uh, that's the one I may never preach on. Song of Songs, I don't get that one. But um, my wife might say I never get romance anyways, but <laughs> I, I shouldn't have gone there. Anyways, um, but I mean, there's lots of kinds of interesting stuff. I want to help you get at least a handle on that. I, I can introduce the idea of some of the ways God has chosen to spoke. And then the third thing, and this is the big thing, help all of us see the, the big story, the larger story of Scripture that is woven throughout the Bible. I think when you could, see, we have a lot of these isolated stories and we can get lost in Jacob and King David and all, all this stuff. When you could see how it's all fitting together, that to me makes a difference. And I think that helps, helps a lot. So that's what we're going to do for, for the next several weeks, um, even through Christmas and past Christmas. Got all that factored in. We want to add a little to it. We want to encourage you to go more than just Sunday morning. So there's this thing called the Essential 100. It is 100 different passages that 50 from the Old Testament, 50 from the New, that will help you get a sense of, of Scripture. You know, it, it's a little intimidating to try to read the whole thing. But over these next, like, five months... I want to challenge you to try to read maybe five times a week, four or five times a week. That'll kind of be the pace. If you can't keep up with that, that's okay. We'll, we'll give you time to catch up later. But you can get one of these reading plans. There are some up here at the front. There's also some at the information desk. Um, that's off to the right. So go to where Cindy is, and she'll catch at the end, and then go to the right where the information desk is. These are $1. So $1. All it is is, you know, what, what verses in a, a check mark. If you want to get the book, that, you, that could be ordered online where you could get it all in one little booklet so you don't have to have your Bible separate. It just could be all in one. They actually have, I looked this up yesterday, they have the audio version. If you want to do this on your commute to work, you could, it's $5. You could download the whole, all 100 scriptures, put it on your phone or whatever, and listen to it on the way to work. That could be how you can engage with this. Um, now, I know some of you are thinking, can I just watch the movie? Yes. Yes, you can. We are going to have uh, one of our Sunday school classes starting next week. Or Yeah. Um, we're going to go through the Bible miniseries. It was put out a few years ago. And it has some good stuff in it. And so we'll kind of watch a bit and talk about it. And so Bruce is heading that up, but I'll kind of jump in there too at times, Bruce and Perlene. So um, that's all going on. We want to make this possible for you, especially if you've never tried something like this before. I want to tell you you can do it, and I want to tell you it's worth doing it. When you think about it, this, what, what, are we gonna, what can we get out of this? If God is our maker, we can get wisdom, wisdom about the world, wisdom for life. If God is a, our shepherd, we can get guidance for, for how we live it, with the steps we take in life. If God is our rock and our refuge, then as we engage this, we become rooted. We become rooted in something deeper, something lasting. Um, if God is our Father, we can gain closeness. 
by spending time in His Word, reading it together and seeking Him in the morning. Sometime today, if you get a chance, talk to some people and and ask a couple of these questions. Just share with one person, maybe your spouse or family member, what role has the Bible played in your life? Has it been something you've read, or is it would this be completely new if you tried this? Um, are there times you've struggled with it? Have you ever read it and said, I don't understand this, I don't know if I want to keep doing this? Or have there been times when you've, you've found that sense of delight as you've had God speak to you in some way through it? You know, what has been your experience of the Bible? And what benefit would you like to see? If you, if you did take this on and start to read it regularly, what benefit might you anticipate? Like, what do you think you'd get out of it? Or what would you hope you'd get out of it if you started to, to take this on in your life? Let me pray. Father, we ask, we thank you that you speak through your word, that you, you're not keeping your distance from us, but that says that when we seek you with all our heart, we will find you. And so, Father, help us to, to learn how to seek you through your word. Help us to learn how to deal with the tough questions and the, the, how to interpret things and, and get a handle on this, that we might know you better. And we thank you for your son who will be with us in this journey. It's in his name we pray. Amen.